Kia ora, my name is Mark Easterbrook and you're listening to Going West Audio. For your enjoyment, education and inspiration, we've opened up our archives, queued up the tapes and unearthed the best oratory, discussion and performance from 25 years of the Going West Writers' Festival. In this episode, Jeff Norman and Steve Braunius bond over birds with a 2013 conversation exploring Norman's reimagining of the iconic ornithological guide, Buller's Birds of New Zealand. Jeff Norman's a man who has reimagined Buller's Birds and Steve Braunius is going to talk to him about it. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, everybody's sort of filing in, are they? Should we just rattle along, Murray? Righto. Okay, look, uh, hi everyone, uh, please take your seats, we'll be here for a little while, uh, and welcome to this session at the 2013 Going West Festival. Uh, my name is Steve Braunius and the gentleman over here is Jeff Norman. Uh, Jeff and I are going to talk today kind of about birds, but more so about the people who look at them, including this Johnny Depp lookalike on our screen. <laughs> I like the subject of people who look at birds, in 2008, I wrote a book called How to Watch a Bird, when I had the privilege and pleasure of meeting some of New Zealand's most ingenious bird watchers. My only regret about that whole marvellous experience is that my book inspired a brainless and pointless TV series called Birdland. It was kind of like Seven Sharp with birds in it. I'm very sorry. Apart from those fatuous broadcasts, however, the subject of birds and the people who look at them has been a continuing uh, delight in my mid to latter years. Uh, Jeff, in fact, is the uh, third author of a book about birds who I've interviewed on this stage over the years. The first was Jeff Moon, late of this parish, a wonderful, charming, debonair guy and a superb photographer. The second was Keith Woodley, who travelled to the Alaskan tundras as he followed the epic flight of the bar-tailed godwit from the white seashell shores of Thames. Jeff is the third and latest, but not so much as an author really, more as a presenter. His beautiful book, designed by Margaret Cochrane and published by the Tapapa Press, is the work of those eminent Victorians, Walter Buller and Johannes Kullermans. Buller and Kullermans. Buller and Kullermans. Together again. The first edition of their great work, A History of the Birds of New Zealand, was published in 1871. Words by Buller, artwork by Kullermans. Their collaborations continued for 35 years. Broadly speaking, Kullermans did the pretty pictures and Buller shot the birds. You could say that Kullermans was the sweet, melodic McCartney to Buller's dominant, brutalist Lennon. Jeff's book is a showcase for McCartney, Kullermans. And the point of it, and the great achievement of this book, is that it shows us, for the first time in basically nearly 150 years, Kullermans' original hand-coloured paintings of New Zealand birds. They're works of art. The colours have a vibrancy and a purity to them, which Jeff argues were lost ever since 1888, when the pictures were printed using chromolithography, then the latest technology. And it was those images which were printed in the second edition of their book, A History of the Birds of New Zealand, and it's that edition which we all know about. That's the one which got all the attention, 
became an instant classic, the Old Testament of New Zealand birds. Jeff wanted the Dead Sea Scrolls. He wanted the pictures that came before, and he discovered them sealed in a museum in Holland, and he's brought them home, brought them back to life. Ladies and gentlemen, could you please welcome Jeff Norman. Jeff, congratulations on the book, and I must at this point tell the, uh, the punters there that it features a rather lengthy foreword by Stephen Fry. What a shame. I loathe everything about Stephen Fry, but it has to be conceded that it's a pretty amazing bit of celebrity endorsement. Uh, Jeff, how did it, how did it come about? Um, well, I'd like to say he kind of rang me up one day and said, I hear you're doing a book on Buller, but it w wasn't quite like that. Um, in fact, it was more to do with the publisher than me. Um, in the very early days of the book, we had talked about um, getting somebody to write the forward, and, and they felt the book might have a bit of a market overseas, so they wanted to get somebody who was recognisable. And his name was mentioned at the beginning, um, not by me, but I'd have to say I was quite happy with the suggestion. And then about a year later, I, I noticed that he was actually in Wellington because he was involved in the, um, the filming of The Hobbit. And so I said to the publishers, well, look, if you want to use him, um, it's probably a good time to try and get in touch with him. And they did. And um, he was very enthusiastic. They asked him for 500 words, and I think within a few days he'd given them about 1,500 words. Um, and, um, but I'd, to be honest, that's, um, I haven't had any contact with him at all, really, apart from that. It's a kind of but, a curiously Wellington story, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Stephen Fry's in town. Let's get hold yeah. of him. Yes. I mean, how was that? I mean, he's sort of more well-known in the discipline of Twitter than ornithology. How did you actually get hold of him, do you know? Um, it was probably about through about three levels of sort of agents and press agents and everything like that. Right. Um, but he was, he was actually staying in Wellington when he did it. Um, I mean, I'd have to say he is very enthusiastic about birds, and in particularly New Zealand birds. I mean, we all know the, the kākāpō story and so on down south, but I know that whenever he comes to Wellington... Um, he goes to Karori and looks at the uh, the birds there, and um, and he did do a. He they took him through to Papa and showed him all the old birds there and so on they had. So yeah, I can, I he can, is very interested in that. Yes, I can see him in to Papa. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Did you dare edit his words? Um, I didn't, but there were yeah, there were there were a few um, things that were changed. Um, he seemed to. He was convinced, for example, that Sirocco, the, the parrot, had died in the meantime, which it, it hadn't. Um, yeah, there were there was a few things it, it changed, but he he didn't seem too worried about it. Yeah, um, Jeff. Now uh, we need to know something really about yourself. Can you tell us something about what who, what what sort of rooster you are? I mean, what what do you uh, what do you do? <laughs> who are you, Jeff? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I had a, a, a science background many years ago. Um, in fact, I started off as a geologist, worked, did that for a few years. Um, but I did become very interested in, in print production. And, um, in fact, a, a couple of us back in the 80s um, unsuccessfully tried to start a magazine in Wellington. Um, the magazine didn't work, but we did keep on going in that sort of area of work and ended up doing lots of... Um, distribution and print production for other people and so I got through that I got into book production and I've done that for, for many years now I was 
um, in on the, um, well, with the media collective people were talking yesterday about the advent of the, the Mac and um, PageMaker and InDesign, and I was very much part of those sort of early days as well, and I've basically been doing that ever since. And what kind of titles have you been uh, working on? Uh, Chris McLean, who was here yesterday, I think one of his, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Chris and I go back a long time, in fact he... Yeah, and and so generally, um, you know, non-fiction, um, highly illustrated, usually with a fair bit of text. So you know, quite a lot of sort of juggling and messing around to, to align text and illustration. So but, you're, yeah. you're you're living and breathing books, aren't you? Um, certainly book production. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, occasionally, it seems you get the opportunity to to actually go outside, and I understand you're quite a. Uh, a queen, a keen uh, tramper. Is that correct? <laughs> queen. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's, uh, a, he's that specialised genre of queen trampers. <laughs> it's little known. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, I, I, I get it, uh, tramping a bit. I'm, I'm fortunate that I've got a group of friends who are about my sort of age and stage, and um, so we, yeah, we meet up sort of frequently and, and, and go out and, and do these tramps. So, yeah, so that's been, a, I guess, the camaraderie and the tramping itself is a, is a big part of my life as well. And these people include uh, Chris McLean and um, Sean Jock Phillips, there. right? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, sort of right. intellectual trampers of Wellington, is that <laughs> it? I guess, well, you probably wouldn't think so if you came along on one of our tramps. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you talking... Is it quite bawdy? What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> No, I don't think it's bawdy, but um, it's certainly helped by, you know, the old bottle of wine and so on. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> now, um, you, you wondered for a while, I understand, about the possibility of producing um, um, uh, this, this kind of book. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, my original thought, I suppose, was that, um, that you've got the second edition um, which um, you described with the chromolithography, but um, there was a lesser-known first edition that was done about what well, you mentioned it done 15 years earlier, and that was done using uh, lithography, and then it was hand-coloured, and that that was a sort of standard way of doing those books in those days. And so that book, it's it's a much smaller book. It's got about 35 illustrations in, as opposed to the 48 that are in the second edition, and it's a smaller format. But the the illustrations are just little treasures, really. They're absolutely beautiful. And, um, and every one of them is a unique work of art because they're all hand-painted. And if you sort of multiply 35 by 500 copies, that's 17,500 original illustrations. And so initially I was quite keen on um, putting, that, putting them together in, a, in probably a much smaller book than this would have been. Um, but what happened was that um, if, if about the time I was thinking about that, I was actually in the UK and I was staying with some friends of mine just north of London and they mentioned to me that there was a, a museum in Tring, which was a town quite nearby, and, um, and it was a natural history museum. And I realised that this was probably the museum that uh, Walter Rothschild had set up and Buller had sold a lot of his birds to Rothschild. So I thought that could be worth a look. So we went and had, went there and, um, in fact, it turns out that the, the museum at Tring is the ornithological branch of the Natural History Museum. And somehow I managed to sort of blunder my way in, and, um, and I said I was interested in New Zealand birds. 
And fortunately, the person, after about three tries, they managed to get somebody who was prepared to come and talk to me. And that person actually was, she was English, but she'd actually worked at Te Papa. And so I was able to sort of drop a few names and she suddenly became very sort of cooperative and so on with that connection. And she told me that they held all of the original watercolours that Coolermans had done for Buller's second edition. And um, as you say, the chromolithography was quite, quite limited. It was, it was um, very popular when it came out. But because it was such an early colour printing technique, the, the colours are not actually that great. So to see these watercolours, the same, the same birds, the same form, but with this just wonderful colour... Um, and of course that made me immediately think that um, instead of just having the, the, the first edition pictures, we could also, um, if we could get hold of these watercolours, we could, we could reproduce the whole, whole lot. In fact, we probably should show that picture. Oh, in a minute, of, in a minute. Oh, okay, all right. Hold, hold your yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, so this isn't, this isn't a, a scenario of, you know, the, the thrill of the, the chase. They almost kind of fell into your lap. They, they, they did, yeah. In fact... Um, when, when I went to the museum and, um, and this, the, this, uh, this woman told me about the picture, she said, look, you know, how long are you going to be in London? And I said, oh, another three or four days. And she said, look, um, I'll go and they're held in the library. I'll go and talk to the librarian. Um, just when you get home, you know, wait a couple of hours, give me time to talk to her and then ring and see. And we got back to my friend's place and within about half an hour the phone rang and my friend came with a slightly perplexed look because it was a phone call for me, you know, and she didn't know. And, and in fact it was a librarian ringing me to say, oh, I hear you want to come and have a look at our Coolerman's pictures. So, um, so I was invited in to see these things. Yeah. I mean, how many people had seen these pictures in the intervening um, 130, I think. Years? I think... The, the, it was certainly the, the, the staff knew about it, you know, and in fact I, I, I was talking to somebody in Dunedin at the end of last year who had worked at the Natural History Museum and he said he could remember a time where if you worked at the museum you could actually borrow the stuff from the library, so you could actually borrow these pictures and take them home. <laughs> <laughs> Gee. So, um, but, and, and they had been published, uh, the odd one had been published every now and then. John Andrews did that book on um, that, that sort of art, natural history art in New Zealand, and, mm -hmm. and he'd used a couple there. And, and Ross Galbraith used one in his biography of Buller as well. But I don't. They certainly hadn't sort of scanned them on mass, you know, no, to, to, to no. use together. Yeah. And and it was just pure chance that this uh, was it a curator? You said the woman from Te Papa? Yes, was yeah, there. Yeah. So sort yeah. of once again, it's a Wellington <laughs> story, yeah. isn't it? Probably she knew someone who has worked with Stephen Fry, and her, her brother-in-law is one of these queen trampers who would, uh, keep hearing about. So they, they, they fell into your lap, which is mm. absolutely fantastic. And, and look, as you say, we really we have got to get to the nub of this thing. Mm. So you are basically arguing that the second edition, which is the one that a lot of us will know, mm. um, the colour reproduction is kind of lacking, is that right? Yeah. Can we yeah. have a look at the... Uh, we're going to have to sort of skip a picture of Walter, but can we have a look at uh, the Tui? Can... And you've sort yeah. of got a, a, a triptych, so mm. to speak, of the Tui, haven't we? Yeah. Can you sort of talk us through that? Well, the, the one on the left um, is actually the, the hand-coloured lithograph from the first edition. Um, so that came out about 1871 or 72. They were published in parts, so these books would come out over, over a year or two. Um, the one in the middle is the, the hand-coloured proof that, um, that Kuhlemans did for Buller. 
And then the one on the right, I hope I'm saying this the right way around, because I'm. But the one on the right is the one that appeared in the. Uh, that's the uh, chromolithograph that appeared in the second edition. And I think you can see that the colours on the on the one on the left and the one in the middle, they, he's got that kind of. Um, the iridescence, yeah, yeah. yeah of, of that we know of the tui. Whereas the um, one on the right, I mean, it's as green as an apple, isn't it? Yeah, and and they had this the, the with the chromolithography because of the types of inks and the and so on that they used. Um, they, they they had this sort of yellow cast, you know, and we all know if yellow goes on top of blue, you kind of get green. Yeah. You know? um, so that's so I guess. The, the, the picture in the middle, I guess, tells the story why I wanted to use all those original um, watercolours mm. and, and then and you know put them together into the one volume. Is is this perhaps the most uh, explicit example of the difference between them, or or is it quite throughout the, the yes. two works? No, I think it's definitely right throughout the the two works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, well, can can you just sort of uh, go back to our Johnny Depp uh, character? <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about Kuhlemans, and um, I mean, what sort of what sort of character was he? Well, he was he was a Dutchman. He was born in 1842, so he's he's about four years younger than than Buller. Um, he came. He started doing um, natural history illustration in in Holland at the Leiden. There's a big natural history museum there, and uh, but he started picking up quite a few clients in London. Um, I think London was probably the centre of that sort of natural history publishing at the time. And so he, in the late 1860s, he, he went across to London and, and set up shop there. And pretty soon sort of picked up quite a lot of work and then um, and, and carried on working like that and right, right through his whole, whole life. He died in 1912. Um, he was sort of known... I guess for the volume of work he turned out, he just churned it out, and um, and I guess as a result, um, there's some some of the other artists of the time, like Joseph Wolfe, and that people he's probably got a slightly higher reputation in terms of the quality of his images. But I mean, personally, I think that Kuhlemans at his best was the equal of any of them. Hmm. Um, How good is he? Well, I I, I think. That when you look at his 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 good images, and I mean, I, there's a guy called George Lodge, George Edward Lodge, who did a who did that big book in the early um, 1900s. They didn't actually publish it until I think the 70s. Charles Fleming was involved in that 1980s something. But um, I don't know. You look at his pictures and you compare them with Kuhlman's, and I think they're they're just not nearly as good. I mean, he somehow. The shapes that Lodge Lodge had sort of imposed these European bird shapes onto mm. our birds, and, and the, the colours and that would be vaguely right, but the shapes would be completely wrong. Um, Kuhlemans didn't get it right all the time, but overall, I think you know they're quite mm. remarkable what he what he did get right. And, and what about the actual book that he put together with Buller? I mean, where do you, where do you think it stands internationally? I mean, we know it because it's like one of our our founding documents, mm. you know. And there's small things like the the uh, painting of the fantail was on our was it a five dollar note or something? Two dollar note. Dollar, dollar note. Yeah, dollar note yeah, for years and yeah, years and years. Yeah. But how does it sort of stack up internationally? You know, is it a class book? Yeah, it is. Um, the the chromolithography was. I mean, that was a, a new kind of technique, and it wasn't done a lot. So, I mean, in a way, that I guess the second edition is most notable because of that. Um, the first edition pictures. I've seen it written in several places that, that you know, by international writers, I guess, who comment that, mm. that, that, that those rank among the best of the pictures that he did do. 
So, I, you know, I think it, it has got higher standing. But I mean, the other thing to remember is that, that um, Kurliman's just had thousands and thousands of pictures and just about any of the major mm. um, bird books of the sort of late 19th century, you'll probably find that he p played a pretty important part in. He was being prolific for obvious reasons. He needed yeah. the, uh, the money. I think you yeah. note in the book, uh, one of his letters where he talks about uh, seven days a week hard labour to earn a bricklayer's wages. Yeah. Um, he sounds a bit sort of whiny. Uh, what, what yeah. kind, I mean, do you think you could have stood him on a tramp? <laughs> he, um, he had about 14 kids. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. <laughs> um, he, he, he was very much part and probably the victim of that whole um, the, the English class thing and the, and the I mean he was he was really just a tradesman and that mm. was how he, he he probably looked at himself that way as well and so he was forever try, struggling to to earn enough money he'd only earn yeah. two or three pounds for each picture he did and um, and it was just and he had for example in the, in the winters in England he, he he would struggle to even be able to work because he he, he needed natural light to work and and you know, you don't get a lot of natural light sometimes in the winter in England. And at the same time, he's trying to, you know, support his family and, and, and all these sort of numerous kids and so on. So, so he was bending his head to the task of, in a dim room, painting mm. birds from a country which is full of light. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Buller, of course, uh, went on to great wealth. And for, Can you have a look at uh, uh, Walter's um, picture... Um, here he is here, yeah. uh, probably dressed on one of those queen tramps, actually. Uh, no, no, sorry. What, what are these robes? Can you, what's the oh, significance I think, of this? I, I uh, think that's his um, doctorate from Cambridge, I think. But I think right. he, he's also got his knighthood cross and, his, yeah. I, and he, he got a New Zealand medal or something, didn't he? Yeah. He, yeah. Well, so. everyone who's interested in, in any way or concerned in any way, too, about New Zealand bird life, we have to reckon with Buller, don't we? Mm. We have to come to terms with him. What, yeah. what do you... Um, I mean, what do you make of, of him, Jeff? Because I'm saying all this because of his well-known notoriety, which has been really oversimplified over the years, that, you know, he was manic and he led to the destruction of uh, bird species. Yeah, yeah uh, well, the more I've worked on this, I suppose, in a way, the more sympathy I've got for the guy. He was, he was quite an unusual character. He, he was born in 1838 in New Zealand, which was um, pretty unusual for a Pākehā. Um, all of his contemporaries were, um, you know, were from England or, or Europe. Um, and I think he, he was probably, um, you know, looked down on a bit by, by, by those people. Um, he, uh, so he was probably made very aware that he was, he was a colonial. Um, I was saying to you before, I found a, a letter that um, Hector wrote to um, Hooker, and, and, uh, um, who was head of Kew Gardens. Uh, it was a letter of introduction um, for, for Buller when he first arrived in England. And it, was, it said something like that he, he, was, he was this person who had been born in New Zealand, so didn't have any of the ordinary advantages that we all had, and mm. he'd never, never obviously been to university or anything. And, and for all of that, you know, given the the sort of state of the people in New Zealand, he was actually quite good, you know. And and when you sort of look at that sort of stuff, you do wonder, well, maybe his his um, 
interest in picking up all of these honours and degrees and so on might have had something to do with that. Mm. Um, I, the other thing I admire about him is he must have been a prolific worker. He got to he got to England in um, late in 1871, I think. The first part of his book came out early in 1872, and the book was published by 1873. You know, and this is sort of start. I assume he probably had most of the text written, but this is contracting an illustrator, getting an illustrator, getting the book out. And, mm. and um, at the same time, he did a law degree. I mean, he was a bit of a rascal. I mean, but he was a lawyer as well. Yeah, so, you know. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and I, I think his, um, the stories about him shooting sort of Huia and so on, I mean, that obviously happened, but... I think, too, you've got to remember that, that that was part of the way people thought in those days. So it was, it, earlier on, you know, when the first Pākehā settlers came, you had that feeling that New Zealand had to be tamed. It had to be returned to the Garden of Eden, which was a kind of a European mm. or English sort of landscape. So there was that kind of whole moral thing about, you know, getting rid of the, the, the vegetation and the birds and so on and supplanting them with the... English ones, and then of course on top of that you had Darwin coming along, and again that sort of provided a scientific basis for that. And and you know if these birds couldn't survive, well they didn't really deserve to survive. Yeah. And and, and smoothing the dying pillow, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I think Buller's attitude, probably most of his life, um, was that his job was to try and collect as much information about these birds before they inev inevitably disappeared. And um, and that was a pretty general sort of feeling, I think, at the mm. time. Mm. Um, can we go ahead to uh, let's look at some of the actual subjects in the book? Can we start with the uh, the kingfisher? There he is, our friend uh, Halcyon Sanctor, with its uh, fierce and uh, rather humorless aspect. Um, is this a, a very good example of the intensity of colour that Coolermans has achieved? Yes, I think you definitely get that, and, and it's a lot more intense there than you would in in, in the chromolithograph. I mean, the, the other thing with that too is this: these are from the, um, the the pictures that we prepared for the book, and and the book has got a lovely kind of creamy background, whereas these these look very sort of bright and white mm. um, to me. But um, but it still it does show that kind of intensity. Um, Kurlemans was there were a lot of birds that he would have been quite familiar with the, the shape of and, and so on. And, and when you do look at his stuff, you do see the same poses and so on repeated again and again. Yeah. Uh, and so he was able to sort of crank them out fairly quickly and, yeah. and, you know, and attach the right sort of plumage and colour to the particular bird. Well, we need to establish that uh, Kurlemans, of course, never set foot uh, in New Zealand. Mm. So, you know, one of the sort of subtitles of this book could be I See Dead Birds. <laughs> Isn't it? They're all sort of drawn from skins, mostly. Yeah, is that well, right? not not all of them. And and he did. Um, it's amazing when you. I've I've sort of been going through the records of the um, the London Zoo about that time, and you know they 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 had a total of about seven kakapo there in the zoo. They they had piopio, you know, the New Zealand thrush. They had about six of them. Um, they had twice. They had huia in the zoo. Um, they had. Heaps of kiwi, um, tui, you know, bellbirds. So and it's an eminently possible that Kuhlemans visited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, about the time that the first edition, anyway, he was actually living in, in North London, so he mm. wasn't too far away from the zoo. And and the second edition, actually, Buller specifically says that the, the, the huia picture that he um, Buller bought a huia 
to London, and um, and and he said that the, the it's a male and female huia, but one of them was actually drawn from life from the huia that that Buller brought to London in 1886. Right. I mean, and and, and we see that the, the kingfisher here are sort of perched rather and probably only a couple of inches over what looks like the Mississippi Delta uh, or, or something. Can we go to the next picture, which is of two, uh, yeah, gulls. We've got the, uh, the native black-billed uh, black gull, the, sorry, the and the red-billed yeah. uh, gull. And, and quite here, one, one of them scoffing a, a fish in front of something that kind of looks like, uh, you know, Tianao or something. Uh, but it's quite rare, isn't it, for Coolermans to focus on, on feeding or any kind of background yeah, it was the, the background became more prominent in, in the second edition, and I think probably the next one we look at, he 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 did actually um, often put in you know native plants and so on into the background. The, the first edition ones are much more sort of generic, really. Um, mm. I mean, having said that, this one is from the second edition, mm. but um, I think the the second edition they did make quite a lot more attempt to sort of try and put in the the, the vegetation and so on, you know, the New Zealand vegetation around the birds. Right, and this next one, what have we got? Um, oh, all right, yeah, yeah there's yeah. the uh, there's a snipe in the background there, and the foreground, of course, is our uh, old friend, the bar-tailed godwit, uh, which sort of rather seems to be uh, in a swamp, which is not its natural uh, <laughs> habitat. You rather expect it to be on on the uh, shore. Um, I mean, with this one, would this be an example? Would you speculate that he's drawn it from a skin or a taxidermy exhibit? Yes, I'd, I'd say he probably had. I know, I'm pretty sure they didn't have any godwits in the yeah. London Zoo at the time. So, yeah. Um, Buller, um, certainly the first time he went to, the, to England, he, he, in fact, he financed his trip. He had a large bird collection himself and he financed the trip by um, selling a lot of the birds to the government um, and then immediately kind of borrowed them again and took them over to London <laughs> with him. And, um, and so Coolermans did use a lot of the skins and so on then. Uh, yeah. That's one of his uh, skills, isn't it, uh, Coolermans, that he was uh, at, at taxidermy. He was a taxidermist. He had done some, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know how much he did in England, but he certainly, when he started off in, in Holland and that, and for, when he was working in, in Leiden... At the museum there, he was yeah he was doing taxidermy there. Um, can you go to the next one, please, Jeff? Um, what have we got here? All oh, oh, right, the uh, bell bird and the yeah the dear old uh, silver eye or wax yeah. eye in the background. Um, and you've got quite a a, a nice little uh, passage from Buller, uh, uh, which this one he talks about how it's a uh, a recent arrival, uh, the silver eye that is at the time and writes that uh, in 1856 a native mailman brought in word that a new bird had been seen and that it was a visitor um, from some other land. In fact, I think the uh, translation of the Maori for silver is, is a... Was it a little stranger or something? Stranger. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that sort of makes me think that, um, you know, there's all these sort of species which are not in the book because they had yet to... To come here, mm. and these are birds that we're terribly familiar with, like the white-faced heron, yeah. had really yet to set up shop, and yeah. uh, the spur-winged plover, which I kind of think of now as our national bird, because if you uh, go anywhere in New Zealand, that's what you'll yeah. see. Yeah. You know, you won't see the dear old tui or anything like that. It's a good old spur-winged yeah. plover. Uh, yeah. The raucous kind of yeah, I, think, I think the white-faced heron's in the, or the grey ear. 
but the I mean, the other one that I mean, you got the roof here, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but the. The other one is the um, the welcome swallow, of course. Is, I mean, that's a recent arrival. Yes, too. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, what else have we got? Ah. <laughs> um, now, is this one uh, the Takahe? Is this one that he may have seen at the zoo in Regent's Park? No, <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, Did they not transport one over? No, they never. Well, they never had a live one until about 1947. So, um, but they the Taki. I mean, the f the first one I think was down found in Preservation Inlet, and I can't remember. I think it was in the, in the late 1830s or early yeah. 1840s, and and then and they used to find them about every 20 years, and in the meantime, they'd think they'd gone extinct. And, yeah. Um, so it was a huge kind of catch for any bird collector to, to because they knew as soon as they got one of these, oh, probably that was worth about two hundred and fifty quid on the yeah, spot. Yeah. And so consequently, the I think the first three all just sort of went straight out of New Zealand to either London or Germany. Yeah. Um, so though, uh, th that one I think was th th at the time the Natural History Museum had two um, taxidermy um, specimens, and 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 that was where that that would right. have come from. It's sort of marvellously uh, interpretive, isn't it? I mean, anyone who's been over to uh, Turiturri uh, will recognise the, uh, uh, you know, uh, profound stupidity of that <laughs> of that bird, which you can see plain and simple. Um, and uh, let, let us arrive at our last uh, exhibit, which we've uh, chosen for poignant reasons, the extinct huia. And indeed, now this one may well have been seen uh, by Coolum. That was the one, yeah, yeah, that was, that, yeah. And if, well, Buller specifically says that, um, that 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 particular picture was well, one he had one. He brought a female bird over, and he says that Coolumans drew it from from life. Yeah. yeah, the female, of course, being the one with the hooked mm. um, bill there. What's yeah. he got them uh, feasting on, or about to feast on? Oh. Look, I can't remember the name of the berry, but he, in his commentary, he he says that um, he he knows that they did eat those berries because when he opened them up, he'd find them in their stomachs. So. Right. Um, and again, a very good example of uh, the original hand-coloured painting. Do you think? Well, this yes, yeah, yeah. No, no and again, you'd um, you don't get those the, the sort of subtleties of those greens and the reds and that with the chromatography. Yeah. 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 Um, has there be, ever been? You, you're a tramper of the Ruahines, aren't you? Um, actually, Sean Barnett is the tramper of the Ruahines. I've been in, but I'm, I wouldn't call myself. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm. There's been sort of rumoured sightings of the uh, Huia and, and, and mm. uh, the Ruahines. You've got you guys ever talked about that? No, no, no. We've um, we've seen the odd few, you know, and that's been enough for us, really. But yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the last sighting I think of the Huia was actually on the on the Holdsworth track, you know, in the in the Tararuas. Um But then that was the one in 1907. But there were obviously quite a few other sort of um, yeah. ones after that. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah, sort of up there with Bigfoot, isn't it? Mm. Um, <laughs> I see the uh, only uh, vaguely menacing figure of Murray uh, over here, which is sort of signalling uh, that we're coming close to an end. Are there any questions from the audience here? Uh, for Jeff and his um, magnificent book, which, by the way, I must say, uh, is available uh, to buy at the uh, Unity stall, and Jeff uh, is more than happy to uh, sign copies. But yes, if there's any questions about this book, because it does raise a lot of questions about early collecting as well, and also um, the artistic achievement 
which is really the thing that I've wanted to um, discuss with you today, Jeff. There's a gentleman down the back who looks quite familiar. Yes, yes. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Jeff, obviously, his artwork is part of the legacy, but what do you think is Kuhlman's conservation legacy in New Zealand? Um, I think that the, I, I think just those book, his birds sort of just became they, it came out at the t at a time I think when New Zealanders were first starting to identify themselves with with the land here and so on. You had a, sort of another generation of you know that we're t you know talking about the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, you know, and you had all that first sort of progressive you know liberal sort of legislation and that going through. And I think it, they did coincide with a time when. New Zealanders were starting to um, look more amongst themselves as opposed to back home, you know, in in England. Um, and his his birds were just they just appeared everywhere over the um, over late nineteenth century, twentieth century, you know, as Steve said on on banknotes and stamps and coins. So I think they just. They just got into our consciousness, really, and 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 they made us realise that our birds really are quite special. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it was it was from that point of view, I think more than anything that they got no, nothing in particular that he tried to do about. It. I mean, as far as he is concerned, he was just doing his job. Anybody else have a vibrant appetite? Always at the back, aren't they? Always as far away as possible from where I'm standing. Why do the people in the front row ask questions? Yeah, Jeff, you talked about sort of Kuhlman's being so busy and prolific and having to do a lot of work. Did, is, is there a Kuhlman's, are there collections of sort of the equivalent of Buller's birds of New Zealand for other parts that are? Other parts of the world, Amazonia, Caribbean. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's 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 lots of birds, uh, lots of books that um, he 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 either exclusively illustrated, or um, I mean, there was a big uh, book on the birds of Great Britain. A lot of the books were a lot bigger than Buller's ones, and so you'll find that you know instead of um, thirty or forty illustrations, they had five or six hundred. Um, so he didn't always do all of them, but he, he, he played a very big part in them. And, he, you know, you'll find he might have done three or 400 out of the 500. And um, certainly there's books on birds of Europe. There's, there's various books on um, families of birds, you know, um, birds of paradise and kingfishers and things like that. And, and he, he, he did those or was largely responsible for them. The, um, the, the New Zealand stuff is just a tiny tiny part of what he did overall. The hushed silence of the forest. <coughs> I think we have exhausted the audience's um, request there. Is there anything you'd like to add, anything you want to add to that um, before we break for our afternoon tea? Are you happy to go there? I've got a, uh, a cheerful quote uh, from Buller uh, in Jeff's book, uh, which I thought I'd uh, share with you. Uh, it uh, accompanies um, the illustration of the uh, red-necked avocet, which is a, a bird which um, uh, was sort of a straggler from Australia, which occasionally has come here. I don't think we've seen one for a long, long time. 
Um, Buller was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to um, be in the right place at the right time to, to see one. It's an extraordinary looking bird. And he writes, uh, in the summer of 1859-60, I saw a small flock of them far up the course of the Ashburton River and again in a small lagoon near Timaru. But not having a gun with me, I was unable to secure any. <laughs> boom, boom. Um, that's what I say about we have to reckon with this guy. I mean, he, he wasn't a gentle kind of fellow, but he was a, a person of his times, and yet that doesn't explain it either. He was quite ruthless. He was quite complex. He had conservation ideas, and even those are really muddied. It's a, uh, it's a kind of a diabolical book, really, that, that Jeff is sort of bringing back into life, and you do have to reckon with it. And there's an ugliness to it, and it's offset by these incredibly beautiful um, pictures by Kuhlemans, who is the innocent in this whole thing. He never came over here. No birds were harmed in the illustrations um, of this book. It's a really beautiful piece of work, and I'd like to um, thank Jeff for... Uh, making it happen, and for coming here, the man from Wellington being our guest. Give him a warm hand. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Going West Audio. You can subscribe to the podcast and our regular updates at goingwestfest.co.nz.